0: Episode 132, personal finance expert Manisha Takor.
1: Um, My favorite mistake is when I realized I was confusing wealth with wealth.
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Manisha, her work, and her books, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com mistake132. And now, here's the episode. My guest today is Manisha Takor. She is a 25-year veteran of the financial services industry, so she's seen firsthand the downfalls of being trapped in what she calls the cult of money, and I think we'll be able to hear more about that today. Um, She is a chartered financial analyst. She's a certified financial planner, so before I tell you more, I think that's the end of the letters and the acronyms. Uh, Manisha, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
1: Oh, Mark, thank you so much for having me.
0: So let me tell you just a little bit more about Manisha's background, um, and I, I don't know if some of this will be in her favorite mistakes story, but um, she went from—I'm um, sorry to be the one saying this out loud. This is your your bio, your words. Uh, from a failed marriage to nearly working yourself to death twice, Manisha's learned the hard way how expensive the pursuit of money really is. So, using an approach that she calls Money Zen, Manisha's found her way back to financial well-being, and she uses this framework. To help others do the same. She's the author of books, including On My Own Two Feet and Get Financially Naked, How to Talk Money with Your Honey. That's uh, that's a fun title. And you can learn more about her and her website, moneyzen.com. So I think we'll have a chance to talk about um, you know some of these financial ideas and tips and mistakes. But first off, Manisha, as we always do here, you know, thinking back to your career and the things you've done, do you have what would you say is your favorite mistake?
1: Oh, yes. And I I can picture the story around it so vividly. So the punchline, which will make more sense when I finish the story, is um, my favorite mistake is when I realized I was confusing wealth with wealth. So let me tell you about that. Um, I, this was back in the day when I was still working in the corporate world, I was 49 years old and working for a wealth management firm. And I had a prospective client who was coming in who I knew personally, and she was deeply private about herself, her money. Um, I knew we could help her a lot. And the experience of the firm I was working for of talking to new clients was to engage in a process called discovery, where you asked a lot of personal questions and understood the person's concerns. And then in a second meeting, you'd come back um, with them, hopefully having felt comfortable enough giving you their financial data data with an overview addressing their concerns so that they could test drive you before hiring you. And so I thought, you know, my friend is never going to share this information, but I want her to see the power. So I went ahead and had the meeting done based on my financials and the interview um, done as if I were the client. So it was all kind of compressed into one meeting. And um, as we went through and we were talking about the money that I had, how I had earned it, what it meant to me, what I wanted to do with it. And my fear of running out. And so um, we had created the analyses to show, you know, if I lived X years and I spent Y amount, what are my odds of running out of money? And I just started bawling, like gut wrenching, (laughs) bawling, because I realized I had spent my whole life accumulating wealth, W E A L T H. I had. More than enough to go do whatever I wanted to do in life. And but I had no wealth. W E L L T H. And it was just this shocker of a moment. And I look back and I think, you know, I'm, I'm not stupid. I went to Harvard Business School. I, I did my undergrad at Wellesley. Um, I had I've been blessed with had a good education. How did I miss this? Um, And that's what really has um, caused my life lately to pivot in directions that I never would have expected. Um, And so that eye-opening moment of really connecting the life's energy that it took, um, that it cost me to earn that money and juxtaposing that against the really um, feeble Um, uses I had put that money towards other than, um, kind of arm's length, charitable giving, but not doing anything to really enhance my experience of life was a big, big wake up call.
0: So I'm glad you clarified that because as you were telling the story, I was thinking, I didn't want to jump in. Like, did I mishear you wealth and health? But I see the, the, the play on words with the spelling of wealth, feeling well, be living well, um, so well maybe the inconsequential uh, question uh, did you get the client after this um this this b- kind of breaking down balling or was she
1: yeah, you okay, know that, what <laughs> what happened actually um i ended up retiring um from the corporate oh. world <laughs> um so she didn't become my client but she did become the firm's client
0: So this, I mean, it wasn't quite a Jerry Maguire walkout. I mean, it was different circumstances going back to that movie. But when you realized the thing that made you cry, just to clarify, was not being short on retirement savings and realizing you had almost over-accumulated and that, that was the thing that upset you, right?
1: Oh, completely. I mean, we ran all sorts. I live a frugal life, and um, that's how I accumulated enough to um, be in a good financial position. And um, as we ran through every possible scenario, like I live to 110 and I spend two and a half times what I'm spending right now, and I assume inflation is five percent a year, I'm still fine, you know. And so it's just that you know that's that really deep stress testing of the numbers and wondering what is inside me that. Keeps having this feeling of it's never enough. It's never enough, um, and so that was a big, a big wake up uh, impetus for me.
0: It sounds like it was quite the epiphany. Then, of, uh, you know, I'm sure you get financial statements in the mail, but you're not getting the clarity of the analysis that you went through. That said, oh, I've got more than enough good problem to well, have.
1: And here's the irony: is I mean. I run those analyses or I did when I was in the corporate world all the time. Like I had run, I knew that data, but it wasn't until I linked my personal story, you know, kind of going back to being, you know, uh, a mixed race, child of immigrants. So, you know, and what I went through growing up in a small town and, and um, uh, where there were no non-white individuals and, um, yeah, I mean, there were so many different things that I had gone through in my life to, to earn that money and get to that point. And it was in talking about and honoring all of that personal um, journey, struggle, learning. That was the aha. Um, I, I I knew the numbers. The numbers were not new. It was just articulating the human story and also the human, the cost um, and how much I had sacrificed in terms of my marriage, I don't have kids. Um, there were a number of things personally that I did not handle the way I would have liked to because of my incessant feeling mm-hmm. it's never enough it's never yeah. enough.
0: There was that you know ra- rather sudden kind of discovery of the situation, and then did retirement give you the space to reflect a little bit more on what had been missing or if there had been you know, regrets or things that you would then try to maybe make some adjustments around?
1: So I'm kind of stubborn, Mark, and it's I, I feel a bit like I'm one of those gigantic uh, uh, cargo ships that uh, maneuvers and turns slowly. So um, not long after that meeting, I became mysteriously um, very ill. Um, I started to have these red, blotchy, swelling, swollen spots that were so painful. My scalp felt like it was on fire. Um, and then finally, when my I had a uh, I could barely keep my eyes open, no joke, longer than three or four hours um, a day in the office um i mean you know, i was literally like slinking off to the milk pumping room um to crash in with the new mothers mm-hmm. and, and sleep on the floor oh, and gosh. um i had finally went to the doctor when my fever approached 104 and they ran a ton of different lab tests and basically found out that um a i had uh epstein bar which is you can think of it as mono on steroids but also i had Hyper levels of inflammation in my body to the point where it, those levels typically indicated some type of tumor or malignancy. Um, and we went through a ton of testing and we, we couldn't find anything. But this systemic infl- uh, inflammation in my body, in retrospect, I can see very much. My body was attacking itself. It was a classic autoimmune um, reaction. And I ended up having to take a nine month leave of absence. It took nine months for me to get my health back to the point where I could actually stay awake for an, a, a normal work day. Um, and so I went back to work, um, and then, you know, that was March, um, right before COVID got going and, um, 2000 and, um, Within a couple months, several people um, close to me passed away. Um, Only one um, from COVID, two others of of other um, uh, circumstances. But it just, the combination of all of that together just really hit home that it was time for me to focus on W E L L T H.
0: So uh, you you made some other adjustments you talked about, you know, you'd made some arm's length donations. Did you get involved in some causes or some organizations where you're more finding more fulfillment and let's say some more direct participation?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I have always been really, really passionate about, um, there are two areas, um, women's economic empowerment um, and uh, mental health awareness Um, And on the economic empowerment front, I joined the board of the National Endowment for Financial Education, which has been an amazing experience. Um, It is a a, a nonprofit uh, that is focused on really helping change the ecosystem and bring together all of the varied um, constituents across the country that are trying on their own to Bring financial education into schools, into the workplace, and so forth. And so, that has been um, deeply fulfilling. Um, and then, on a local level, I live in Portland, Oregon. Um, that we have a charitable giving group um, of of women and um, everybody it's a thousand dollars in the pot and it's grown so much. We now have over 500 women. So the pot's got $500,000 wow. in it. And mm-hmm. we donated across five different categories, one of which has to do with mental illness. And so mm-hmm. I um, focused my efforts in there and that has been deeply rewarding, but w- w- I kind of felt like I was checking off boxes. It's like, okay, I'm retired. And so I'm going to learn a language and I'm going to travel and I'm going to do volunteer work. And after about two or three months, I felt like like I had another song in me that was meant to come out. And all through my corporate career, I've always, well, at least for the last 15 of my corporate career years, I've had a side gig which I call Money Zen. And that's the entity under which I wrote the books. And I do a lot of talking, teaching, speaking about the basics of personal finance for women. And um, by the time I had, uh, quote, semi-retired from the corporate world, I was tired of talking about personal finance 101 tips. And all of this stuff stirred up together Um, re-energized me and made me realize that I wanted to help people who um, I'm now calling it um, needed help to um, uh, stop striving yourself crazy, um, which (laughs) is what, what I was doing to address this kind of never enough feeling around money and career and success. Um, And so I've been working on a a framework to try and help people. And I um, was very fortunate to get a a book contract this fall with Harper Collins to put out a book that is, um, it'll be my third book. And this one really is focused on um, helping people stop driving themselves crazy.
0: And so these people who are striving themselves crazy or working themselves to death or, um, you know, they're, they're caught up in, you know, I think it's a vivid phrase you use the cult of money. Yeah. Is there, I don't know how how much I'm going to try to torture the analogy is there's no cult leader per se, I guess, or like, how, how do, how do people get caught up in that cult of money? How, how do you describe that?
1: Yeah. So um, that is, um, you know, The million dollar question. (laughs) And it's, it's really been um, a function of three broad factors. Um, The first is that we are not taught financial education. And unlike prior generations, we have much easier access to credit um, that now comes to us with increasingly more complex fine print so essentially we've been given a financial oozy with no instructions and we can shoot ourselves in the foot the second factor is that we are bombarded by unrealistic media images so i mean pick pick any police medical legal drama on tv and you'll see um And I'm particularly attuned to this with the female characters, but it's with the male characters as well. Like you watch a a female paralegal going into the office and she has completely frizz free hair, even though the show takes place in New York in the summer. And, you know, she's obviously had a fresh mani-pedi because she types a lot for work and her nails are perfect. And you look at her outfit and the fabric and the fit of the clothes, it's clearly custom tailored. And um, then you see her apartment and it's, you know, unbelievable. And yet she's earning a paralegal salary. Um, And what I have observed is that male or female in so many of the shows we watch If you had to actually pay for the lifestyle being depicted by that character, you'd have to earn probably 25% more than the jobs those characters are depicted as having actually pay. And so our perception of what is normal is completely off. And in such a subtle way um, that you don't always notice it. Um, right away. And then of course, social media has put it all on steroids because, you know, nobody puts the photo of the vacation part where mom and dad were giving each other the silent treatment and the kids were having a food fight. You know, you yeah. just get the kumbaya photo. And so we have these, you know, you, you stir together those three pieces and it's really easy to fall find yourself in a cult of money You don't have to have an Ivy League MBA or work in finance for this to happen to you. It's happening everywhere, which is what's so concerning to me is so many of us, um, we've got cognitive overload and um, the message that seems to be predominant in so many people's minds, not everyone, but Mm -hmm. so many people's minds is this, never enough, I got to keep going. I got to work harder. There's all this opportunity. I should take advantage of it.
0: I mean that that's been going on for a while. We talk about the, the, the expectations, what's portrayed. Um, one one of the criticisms of the show Friends going back to the 90s oh. was that, oh, come on, these New York right. apartments that they were in, way too big, would have been way too like if that even exists, right. would have been way too expensive.
1: When I was that age and I lived in New York and I had a good job, I was working at an investment banking firm. I was living in like a 400 square foot, fourth floor walk up. And I was happy to have found that place.
0: (laughs) A friend of mine from college who was working at one of the major uh, banks and maybe his office was in the World Trade Center when I visited him there in the late 90s. And he was living in a a really small apartment with four or five guys who all worked Mm -hmm. in financial services and they worked so much, they were never home. So I guess right. that made it-
1: <laughs> They could cycle through the bed.
0: <laughs> easier. That's part of that. Um, I guess, you know, it's just part of that striving um, yeah. lifestyle. But, you know, when you talk about wealth, W-E-L-L-T-H, uh, that, I mean, that that it seems like one of the challenges here. I'm curious what you think is that that wealth is not as easily measured as W E A. LTH wealth, you get financial statement right. sent to you or you go log in or where, where, how, how do you, I mean, not that everything has to be quantified, but how do you gauge that sense of personal well being?
1: So I, I have found, and again, I'm in this, this, um, period of exploration. Um, I would liken the book that I'm working on to, um, uh, Dan Harris' 10% Happier, where he had um, an anxiety and panic attack on national TV and then wanted to step back and figure out how it happened. So I had this moment where I realized I was focused on wealth instead of wealth. And um, now I'm stepping back and trying to understand how did I become this kind of person? Where did those years go what can I do to help other people not make the same mistake? And what can I do going forward to enjoy myself? And right now where I am is identifying um, more the triggers um, or the characteristics that help you see that you may have this problem. And so what I have come to find is that while I originally thought the root issue was something like, What I experienced was which was an over identification of self-worth and net worth literally Mm -hmm. conflating my value as a human with the size of my bank account to a problem that is much more widespread. So I just got back from yoga earlier today and, you know, my yoga instructor told me that there's huge competition in the yoga world. Like how many students fill up your class? Um, Do you have any students that want to take privates with you? was talking to um, an academic friend of mine, and she was saying, oh my gosh, we totally compete. Our our net worth is how many um, papers we have published and conferences we've been invited to speak at. And so I realized there are so many, net worth um, varies by the orbit in which you live, but the pain of associating your self-worth with your net worth, despite how you define net worth is very real, very widespread. Um, And to me, the, the, the beacon, if you will, is that you feel like you're on some kind of never ending treadmill where you're doing everything that you're supposed to do. Um, You got good grades, you worked hard, you got married, you have two kids, you've got the dog, um, and you're not happy. Yeah. Um, and, and another test I use is, you know, I ask, you know, I ask people, like, can you remember what you did three days ago? And I mean, most people like literally cannot remember, like yeah. the days are just this this blur unless they were on vacation. In which mm-hmm. in case they could say, yeah, we went to this restaurant or we saw that museum. Um. And I find that fascinating that people can remember what they've done on different days of a vacation. Um. But they can't remember in the week they are working. Yeah. Um, and so that's that to me is the signal.
0: It sounds like a sign that someone is sort of just um sleepwalking through their week, through their year, if if it's so indistinct that you can't remember a couple of days ago what was different about that day.
1: Yes. And I, I think what worries me is I thought for a long time I was you know, alone in this that I had just kind of a a whacked out bent set of, um, values. Um, but as I talk to people, while it doesn't always manifest itself, um, in the cult of money, the way it did with me, there is a cult of never enough, like this pressure Mm -hmm. that you need, you need to either have more, do more or be more. And so to, to come full circle back to your question, like what, what does W E L L T H look like? Um, I would argue it is this combination of having financial health. Cause if you don't have financial health, it, you're so stressed, you're not going to enjoy anything else, but it's having that combination of financial health and emotional wealth with the focus on Building financial health so you can have emotional wealth, um, and I think that interplay um, needs more discourse. Yeah.
0: So w- one other area might um, require more discourse or you know insights mm-hmm. for um, uh, couples. You know, so your book and it's a you know it's a catchy <laughs> title: um, "Get Financially Naked: How to Talk Money with Your Honey." I mean, are are there some common money mistakes that, that you see couples making?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, the first one is not talking about money before um, becoming a, a permanent couple, whether that means uh, moving in together or getting married. Um, I am blown away by the number of couples who don't know each other's income. Um, I mean, shocking. Um, kinds of lack of communication around money. And so I always say that, you know, you go to the doctor, you get some basic annual blood work done. And there's some basic annual financial blood work that you want to do as a couple, at least knowing what is your household income, in aggregate, you don't need to break it down into minutia. Just look at how much went out in credit cards, how much you wrote in checks, how much you took out in ATMs, um, and have a lump sum of what, what went out that year. And hopefully there's a positive difference. Um, know your credit scores. But then most importantly, come up with some rules. I call it um, create your financial three-way. Um, and what I encourage is every couple to have three buckets um, yours, mine, and ours. And you get to decide how they get funded. Some couples want everything in ours, 100%. Other couples have different guidelines on how they want to put money into yours or mine. And increasingly, as um, people get married later in life or second marriages and their kids involved, the complexity. Um, of people's financial situations when they come together is sufficiently strong that absent these conversations, there can be huge hurt feelings, anger, fights. Um, if you have your money combined together, I always suggest that um, that you decide a number, that um, if either party wants to spend more than that, you agree you're going to talk to each other, and that um, you'd pick a number that I each one of you is allowed to spend or do whatever the heck you want with each month, no questions asked. And those two bumper guards really seem to, to help um, with maybe 80% of the arguments. And then um, for the yours and mine, um, I, I also suggest that when there are big income um, disparities, one of the things I'm noticing is a lot of women are becoming, um, the primary breadwinners. I have many female friends that are earning twice, three times what their spouse is earning. And then that creates an awkward situation and they don't want to make their spouse feel emasculated. So they don't bring up the topic. Um, and when there are those disparities to, to talk about how you want to handle them, It, it doesn't sound romantic to talk about a pro rata split of vacation costs, <laughs> but if it keeps each party from feeling, um, that they can truly enjoy the vacation because it meets their financial sensibilities, it's a really good investment. So talking about those kinds of really awkward, um, divisions of how you want to handle or the, 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 the rules that you want to create for yourselves, um, I find is uh life-changing for a lot of yeah.
0: relationships. And um I, I haven't had a chance to look at the book. Is it is it full of financial double entendres like the financial free
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, I ran out of them. Like I you no, know, I I am they come to me when I'm swimming. I don't know why. I should have done yeah. more laps, there'd be more of them in there, but
0: yeah. Um so uh, Manisha with uh with MoneyZen, can you talk a little bit about that? Again, um our guest is Manisha Takor. Her, her website's moneyzen.com. Um, do do you what are the different ways you work with individuals or who's who yeah, so in this with there?
1: second chapter of my life? I have shifted from working with individuals to um a a B2C uh setup. So yeah. I mm-hmm. teach. And I typically work with corporations um, or increasingly um, retreat centers um, and wellness centers. So what I, what I have found is a lot of corporations are doing in-house financial wellness programming um, to help their employees. So I do a lot of um, teaching through that, which is wonderful because if I can teach for a fortune 500 company that I I do a couple of sessions and then they keep them on their internal, um, networks. I can Mm -hmm. reach so many more people than if I was working one-on-one. And then what's heartened me is, um, I'm also seeing like spiritual retreat centers, the Omega Institute, 1440, a lot of these wonderful places now offering this content. So I teach there. um, and then I speak, um, and I've really um tried to focus in at this stage of my career on speaking events where I can hit the greatest number of people. And so usually it's um industry organizations, trade groups. Um I, I just finished finished speaking to um a large group of female reconstructive surgeons. Um and uh really trying to help in that sort of way. And then also doing um, brand ambassadorship around um, products or services that I feel passionate about. Um, And I'm really picky about those because if I wouldn't use them myself, I'm not gonna talk about them. Um, But that's the way in which I have been working, but I wanna still help individuals. And so on my website, I really take care to, I have a tab called Financial Wisdom, and I uh, uh, have the common different areas, everything from you're getting married to you're struggling with debt um, to you want to learn about investing. And I constantly am curating what I think are the best resources to teach yourself about these topic areas um and then i have one online course that i do pro bono um so uh, the omega institute runs it and um uh, i teach it and all the proceeds the tuition goes to omega for scholarship funds and people have taken it say it's life transformative and are uh, transforming um and it mimics uh the uh, on per, uh, on campus in person workshop that i used to do pre covid so that's uh, those are the ways in which I'm able to help individuals, and I'm on social media, um, and I have a monthly newsletter. I don't sell anything because I I am my money's end business is now B 2 C, but I, I, um, B, but I love sharing information, and particularly as I go down this journey on this new book of trying to figure out how to help people meld financial health with emotional wealth. I'm really helping to define what are the elements under each of those buckets. And so, as I'm researching that and talking to industry experts and reading journal articles and so forth, I'm sharing the best of in, in the newsletter. And I feel like that's one of the biggest ways that I can um, help as many individuals um, as possible at this point.
0: Yeah, well, that's great. Well, thank you, Manisha, for being here with us, for for sharing your story and your reflections and what you've learned. Hopefully, that prompts others to. To think about their own balance of wealth and well-being and um, and, and stop step back and uh, maybe look to some of your books or your website as a resource so uh, again our guest today has been Manisha Takor. her websites moneyzen.com you can find her books on Amazon and the new book again you said is the fall I know publishing can be slow which yeah, fall so of, it's fall actually, which year <laughs>
1: it's the fall of 2023 so in the okay. interim, um, in the next week or two, I'll have going live on my website, a quiz. So if you go to moneyzen.com, you'll see it up in the top bar. It says quiz and it's really fun. You can take it and it tells you where you fall on the spectrum of financial health and emotional wealth. Um, and depending on where you are, I'll be able to share, um, content that is specific to your situation, um, uh, up until the time the book comes. So, um, cool. Definitely go to com and check out the quiz. It's uh, the, it's it's fun.
0: Cool. I will do that. So thank you, Manisha, for sharing that. Good luck with the book and happy writing. And thank you again for being here today.
1: Mark, Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again to Manisha for being our guest today. Uh, to learn more, get her website, books, the quiz, and more, go to markgraven.com slash mistake 132. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.